Good afternoon and welcome to One More Thing, featuring authors, artists, celebrities, entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Donna Lynn, with a hearty welcome, inviting you to tune in every Sunday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, right here on BBS Radio, for in-depth talk and terrific guests. And what fun to chat about America's premier funny lady and the man who knew her well. Producer, playwright, and the author of the best-selling book, I Loved Lucy, My Friendship with Lucille Ball, Lee Tannen joins me right now. A A warm welcome to you, Lee. Thank you, thank you, and thank you for the lovely introduction. Appreciate it. Yeah, and you know, we got to stop meeting this way. We're always on the radio, aren't we? I know, I know. Well, we saw each other once in person, I think, at Laguna Beach, but that was we, we did. a we long, did. Long, um, a long, long time ago. I like, uh, you, I like the radio. It gives people imagination. I do, too. The, the uh, theater of the mind, right? Exactly, exactly. Or the absurd. Uh, I've always liked radio more than TV, but that's another story, and it's not about me. You are the man to call for everything Lucille Ball, and you still do a lot of interviews after all these years. There's still so much interest. I mean, she's a real gift, uh, rightly, on various levels. Yeah, she's the gift that keeps on giving, I guess you'd say. Um, And it seems that her popularity only increases in her death. I mean, she's she's gone like, you know, 30, 31, 32 years now, of, you know, just about 32 years. And, um, you know, people, kids, millennials, people are enjoying her who weren't even born when she was alive. So, um, yeah, with, with biopics and podcasts and interviews, I'm, I'm doing more of that now than uh, than I've done uh, since the book came out, which will be 20 years on September 11th, 9-11, it came out. Unfortunate date for for, for a book, but uh, nevertheless, it's 20 years old now. Well, technology has changed so many things. We're able to do so many things like what we're doing today. Yep, yep, yep. And, uh, um, you know, and of course, the, the videos and, you know, social media and, uh, but she's just, yeah, she's as, she's as popular as ever, if not more so. And books are selling as much as they did really almost in the first first year of you know of its of its printing back in 2001 and so many of us have a lucy story and i'm going to spare mine because your story beats all um take us <laughs> back <laughs> it does. take us back briefly lee when as a very young boy you met your tv idol for the first time yeah well i, I met her because she married her second husband gary morton who was distantly distantly related to me and you know, it would take an hour to tell you how distant it was, but it was it was distant because through cousins and marriages and brothers and sisters and cousins and wives and husbands and brothers. Um, but uh, I knew, even at the ripe old age of ten, that when she came into the family when I was about ten years old or eleven years old, I, I said, I said to my mother that I was just I was I was I was going to meet her and I was going to be friends with her one day and my mother said okay Lily she called me Lily okay whatever you say you know <laughs> this is before this is before they were even married when they were just going with each other we ran into Gary Morton's mother on the street in the Bronx where I hail for anybody who doesn't know where the Bronx is it's a borough of New York City um, and uh, I met his mother and then when we left her I said oh my God I can't believe Gary Morton is dating Lucille Ball maybe one day he'll marry her. She'll be in our family. And my mother said, oh, sure, sure. No, that won't happen. Then they got married a year later, and they stayed married for, till her death 28 years later. So I had a chance to meet her right after they got married. I was about 11 years old, 
and she came to visit Gary's sister, who was a real cousin of mine, um, and in the Bronx, and they invited me over to spend an evening with Lucille Ball. I didn't say two words, Donna. I didn't say two. I did say two words. I said hello, Lucy, and that was about <laughs> it. And then I was then I was gobsmacked. So original, right? Hours. Yeah, and it was amazing, unforgettable evening. Well, I can't imagine and what then, must have been going through your mind, a little kid sitting there with Lucille Ball. She was big stuff. Yeah, I, it, I, I really could remember it very, very vividly. That's like 60 years ago. Um, I, I lost my mind that night. It wasn't even what was going through <laughs> my mind. And, and unfortunately, you know, they had Polaroid cameras then, and there was a certain amount of film, and she was taking pictures with the family. And then when it came time to take a picture with me, they ran out of film. True story. They ran out of film. So, I mean, when I started to tell my friends about it the next day, they went like, oh, yeah, sure, surely. Yeah, you would. You know, I, had no, I, had, I had no visual proof. I had no visual proof, nothing. But, um, but I do have the memory of that. It, it's, it's very indelible in my mind. Well, you know, Lucy was quite the sensation for a very long time, and she was then, even though she was in a different sitcom, I believe, at that time. But I Love Lucy changed television forever. Um, Desi invented the three-camera technique. You know, we didn't have a lot of networks back then or programming like we have now. And to see this beautiful redhead and handsome Cuban interact, I mean, it got us all talking. They were very endearing. Yeah, yeah. No, it was the... They did invent television as they went along, Lucy used to say. They did it as they went along. Um, it actually, just for a little bit of trivia, it was actually four cameras for the first few episodes, four cameras. And they got a cinematographer named Paul Freund, who they called Papa Freund, who uh, was a big, big cinematographer uh, back in the 30s, 20s and 30s, Garbo movies and things like that. And then he retired. And I don't know how Desi did it, but he got him out of retirement. And it was really Carl Freund that came up with the idea of shooting four cameras simultaneously, four 35 millimeter cameras. Very, very expensive. You know, movies were always shot with one camera or possibly a second camera, but never four cameras going at once. Then they went down to three cameras after a few episodes, you know, a master shot, meaning, you know, the big big frame and then you know camera left and camera right and then they would edit all the film at the end and that's how they got to the you know 22 minute story but uh, and, and do we use really... that uh, three camera uh, technique today on oh, television yeah. yeah yeah sure all the i mean they also all the you know all the sitcoms many of them who were filmed actually at Desi Lou but that's a whole other story how they grew so fast but yeah you know Mary Tyler Moore and Dick Van Dyke and all in the family and you know Maud and Rhoda and all, all all the sitcoms that followed used three cameras with with an audience. You know they were also the first. I Love Lucy was the first to use an actual audience. They built stands, and bleachers, and they had the audience there watching. Um, because prior to that, they were all done with what was called kinescope, where it's process of like taping off a television. And the quality was not good, and it never lasted long. Those were shows like The Honeymooners, you know, which yes. predated Lucy a bit. And they were shot in New York. So they wanted they wanted to do it that way because it was cheaper, but Lucy wanted Desi at home for myriad reasons. <laughs> and, um, yes, exactly. So they wanted, they, and she had just had a baby, 
um, Lucy Arnaz. So um, they shot it in California, and they came up with all these ideas of three cameras and bleachers and film, film, which would be long-lasting. Desi did see the the big advantage in shooting with film for purposes of reruns. And look, we're talking about it. You know, seven. It's it's going to be seventy years oh. in, in September. October 15th, I think, is the date, 70 years ago, and we're still talking about this, about these programs. Well, they were an ingratiating couple, and Lee, I think a lot of us thought Lucille Ball was Lucy Ricardo. Um, were there any similarities between the two? Mm, that's a great question. Um, when I started writing the book, which was actually kind of act just the sidebar, which was kind of accidental. I was really just writing down memories, memoirs in the way because I was turning fifty, and my partner Tom said, um, "You know, you're going to forget soon what you told people about all those great times you had together." And he's right because I have forgotten a lot, and I have to go back to the book sometimes. But anyway, um, was she like? Um, I mean, I guess the answer is yes and no. For the most part, no. She was not like the character at all. I mean, she was not zany. She, Lucy didn't think funny. She really didn't think funny. But as I say in the book, she knew how to deliver the goods. She had great script writers, and she knew how to do funny things, and she knew what to do with the script. But in person, she really was a pretty serious kind of gal. Although she could, you know, she could be, when she was funny, it was almost like, incidentally funny or accidentally funny. You know what I mean, Donna? Yes. She really didn't. She used to say that I, Lee, thought funny, and I do think mm-hmm. funny. Um, so making her laugh, of course, was paramount to everything. But um, I would have to say, if you, in a quick answer, no, she really wasn't very much like Lucy Ricardo. Well, you know, I always pegged her as serious because over the years I've watched everything I could possibly watch like you, and I've studied her. But when I watch Lucy on the old talk shows when she was a guest, uh, she comes off very sincere, very intelligent, not slapstickish, but as a serious businesswoman. Yeah, yeah she was serious. Um, I, I, I think I, it's a good time to clean up a myth about the businesswoman part, though, and that's interesting that you say that because – 99% of the people I speak to say that she really, she was serious, like, as I said, but she really actually wasn't a great businesswoman. Um, she was thrown into that, you know, when she divorced Desi and she bought him out, um, you know, she became the chairman of the board of Desi Lu and she had to sit on boards and, and stockholder meetings and hire and fire people. And she really hated that. That did not come naturally to her. You know, what came naturally to her, like I mm-hmm. said, was making people laugh from a great script, uh, being a clown, obviously, probably the world's best clown. But um, so when people talk about, you know, oh, she broke the glass ceiling and she was the first woman to, uh, to you know, the first woman to, to run a studio. It's true, but it was really by default. It wasn't something that she really she really wanted to do. So that was that was actually a little bit tough for her. And it, and it and hardened you- her a bit. Over the years. You know, I almost corrected myself on that, and I wasn't going to add businesswoman because, to me, uh, Lucy is a person who learned her craft well. Am I correct in saying that? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. She absolutely did. I was I was waiting for you to talk more. <laughs> um, she yes, she she absolutely learned her and she learned her craft by doing everything and anything that a director asked her to do. And being in a lot, a lot of films, you know, like 
I think something like 76 films before she even did I Love Lucy, you know, mm -hmm. but she was never really the top, top banana. She played mostly, you know, she, she, she made some good movies where she was a star, but by the, by the late forties, her career was really waning in film. That's why she went into radio. Um, but she, yes, yeah, she learned, you know, she used to tell me she, if the director said take a pie in the face, she took a pie in the face when a lot of other beautiful showgirls wouldn't do that, you know. Mm -hmm. And you see the comedy. If you watch some of her early films that are funny films or, you know, comedies, you, you could see you, you could see her brilliance shining through if you look, you know, her, the way she dropped a line, her, her gag lines, her, uh, her looks. Um, so, yeah, she learned, she learned her craft well. And she learned comedy because she was an actress. She was in some serious films. Uh, how much training did she have, Lee, in comedy? None. None. <laughs> she had never, I mean, she dropped out of high school to come to New York, you know, to, to be a serious actress. She enrolled in a school called the John Murray Anderson School of Drama in New York City. The star pupil at the time was Betty Davis. And after a month, the, they wrote her mother, Dee Dee, what's her name, her mother, Dee Dee, back in Jamestown and said, uh, you better take your daughter home. She, she's never going to be an actress. So she uh. did go home. And mm -hmm. then she came back to New York years later and she did some modeling. But she had no, uh, no, she was, she was a model and she was, it was a hot summer afternoon and she was walking out past the Palace Theater in New York City and, some agent came over to her and said something. They, they lost a Goldwyn girl. Goldwyn girls were like like the equivalent of Ziegfeld girls in theater. Goldwyn girls was Samuel Goldwyn's girls in the movies. And they dropped, one girl dropped out. And they said, would you like to be a Goldwyn girl? And she said, sure. And they said, well, you have to leave for California in three days. And she did. And uh, that really was the beginning. <laughs> the rest is history. That she. she I think she made three movies with Eddie Cantor the first year she was out there as a Goldman girl. You know, no lines, nothing like that. You, you wouldn't even know her unless you knew who you were looking for in the films. But uh, so she really had no, she had no formal training, none. You know, back to the show. The show was so fun, uh, and we could all resonate with it. Everything they talked about was applicable to our own lives. You know, dieting and all the friendship between Lucy and Ethel. You know, they didn't lock their doors. They had some marriage problems. Um, it was just a delight to watch. Oh, oh, it was, and it's it's as classic today. I mean, I'm I'm from the school that funny is funny, no matter where and when you do it. If it's classically funny, um, you know. But certainly, the mores and codes were all in place. I mean, you couldn't. She used to say you couldn't even say the word pregnant, and now on TV, and now people are doing it. On TV. <laughs> um, Good point. You couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't say pregnant. I say expecting. You know. Um, oh, there were lots of things that you couldn't do. You know, sleeping in the double beds and and all that. But it, but they never talked. There was no religion. There was no politics. There was no um, there was no controversy. It was just about everyday life and Lucy basically trying to get into the act. I mean, it's amazing that they could do 179 shows. Yes. And still come up with. Well, you know, they just kept it fun, as you said, no politics. And they were so naturally together. Uh, they had great chemistry. You know, they made love look easy and wonderful. And who doesn't want that? Um, what was right. their li uh, life uh, off the set? Was it anything like uh, at all as the characters they portrayed? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And I think we should end the conversation there. No. Um, no, they, it was a very tempestuous 
as everyone knows by now, you know, um, it was a very tempestuous marriage and he was a hot blooded Latin and she was an all American redhead. And, um, you know, he, and he womanized a lot and he drank a lot and the more successful they became on screen, the more really unsuccessful they became off screen. And, um, it was a shame. It was a shame because they certainly loved each other for the rest of their lives. I, I know that for a fact. Seen, yeah, and, and they were they were very believable. They, it's, it's almost like they were meant to be together. Well, I want to go back to um, to your meeting, Lucy. After your auspicious beginnings with Lucy, uh, you met again <laughs> as adults, <laughs> and you really hit it off. You were in your late twenties. Uh, Lee, tell us how that meeting occurred and why you think you had such an affinity for each other as friends at that time. You're asking such great questions, and you're also asking questions. If I could, if I could put a little plug in for a movie that hasn't happened yet, it's not a biopic of Lucy and Desi, like there are so many in the works and have been. This is a story, a movie that um, a production company optioned based on my book on I Love Lucy, and um, which will hopefully be filmed next year. And um, the question you just asked is the, is the sixty four thousand dollar question. That's what we're that's what we're reckoning with now with the screenwriter who's going to adapt this. Um, I met her again in nineteen eighty. Um, I was married prior to that to a woman. Um, I then uh, got divorced from my wife and um, realizing I was gay which I realized many, 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 many years earlier. But when you grew up in the Bronx in the 50s and 60s, um, you weren't gay. You got married. So I got married. And that's, that's the long and short of that. But in 1980, um, I was with my new partner, Tom, and uh, we were coming back from Hawaii. And I had the presence of mind to kind of think that, oh, wow, I would love to be able to see Lucy. She wasn't working on a TV show anymore. And I thought, wow, wouldn't that be great? I met her at 10, and now I'm going to meet her at 30. And so I arranged it through Gary and his sister. Well, through Gary's sister, Helen, the lady who I went to visit when I was 10. And um, Lucy said, sure. You know, she said she remembered meeting me. I doubt it, but she said she remembered meeting me. Um, And so I knocked on the door at 30, and I really... I felt like I was 10 again. I still was blobbering, you know, because I, <laughs> I was able to speak more than two words. But, um, yeah, went into a house in Beverly Hills, and it was sort of like kismet, you know, sort of like meant-to-be kind of thing. I can't really explain it, and that, that's, why we're having, that's why we're having a little challenge in, in how, how portraying it in a film, because I really can't explain the chemistry. I mean, I can, but it's, it's one of those things, you know, coming at the right time in her life, her yes. coming at the right time in my life. And, well, I think uh, trying to explain it is kind of esoteric, isn't it, to try to explain it? Yeah, it's not It's not really literal, and it's not linear. It's just a, it's just a whole bunch of stuff that happens quickly, and it was, you know, and the next thing I knew, it was sort of like nine years later, and I had been with her for so much and through so much in that last decade, which people don't really know about unless you read my book, which, by the way, is available on Amazon.com. Yes, I, want, I was going to make mention of that in a little. You beat me to the punch, but that's okay. Uh, Luce, uh, I loved Lucy. My friendship with Luceville Ball is a great read. You don't want to miss it, and you won't be able to put it down. It's available on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, or you can call your favorite bookstore. 
and, and it's even a great on, gift and, too. and on audible audible.com if you like to listen a lot of people love listening in the car now these days they so do. i do the narration and it's available on audible and um but anyway yeah it was um you know she was going through a turning point in her life she wasn't working and that was frustrating to her you know she had ended her show she's doing some specials i was kind of at a turning point obviously in my life um and it just—it it was just one of those things, Donna. You know, it's just, it just—it was—it was pretty amazing, and that's why I really had to write the book so I can really get those memories down. What were some of Lucy's personality characteristics, Lee, that endeared you immediately? Well, I had told her about my being gay. She was the first. She was actually the first person, other than Tom. Who knew I was gay? Um, I told her before I told my parents, told her before I told my best friends. I mean, they everybody probably knew, but but I basically told her. her complete acceptance of me was amazing. I mean, she it was like, okay, so you're gay. Now sit down and let's play backgammon, you know, which, was her, <laughs> which was her game of choice at the time. Um, so... So her, you know, acceptance. She, she she was very very she was very accepting of me. She wasn't as accepting of people in general. As a matter of fact, you really had to you really had to toe the mark with Lucy if you wanted to kind of keep in her life. And you know, towing the mark was either learning and knowing how to play backgammon, or it was just you know, no small talk. You know, no no no. She really wanted to know about you. You know, and if she liked you, she loved you. It was. You were there, you know, mm-hmm. so she was very direct. She was very whip smart, whip smart woman. Very, very, very smart. Loved games. Hated, like I said, small talk and um, stubborn, you know, and I guess the qualities that go with being an icon, you know, a yes. legend, you know, it was my way or the highway kind of thing. You did what you, you know, you, you did what she wanted when she wanted. Very arbitrary, you know. Um, you know, if I said I wanted lunch at 12, she said, well, who the hell eats lunch at 12? We'll eat at one. You know, I mean, like, <laughs> yes. what does that mean? What does that mean? 12, 12 sounds like lunch to me. You know, um, you know, I'll make you whatever you want, baby, for dinner. Okay. I would love a steak. Who the hell eats steak on Tuesday? You know, stuff <laughs> like that. Um, you know, so she was, um, she was, she was very complicated, very complicated woman. Very complicated. But, but all in all, Lucy made you feel good about uh, yourself, didn't she? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yes. I need you around, Donna. You make me feel good. I need you around. Get over here. You can help us make <laughs> this film. Um, yeah, she made me feel, well, I, we're using the word now. She made me feel very authentic, very authentic. And I think I made her feel very authentic. And what I mean by that was, you know, I, and, and, I, and I don't know if we're going to get into this, but later in later in our relationship, we had sort of like a falling out for a while, and we didn't speak for about a year, year and a half, um, be, because of each of our authenticity. I think she made me feel authentic. I could do no wrong until I did wrong once in her eyes, but I could do no wrong. Uh, I could say no wrong. Uh, when I spoke, nobody else could speak in the room. It was very heady kind of thing. It was very sort of like, it was almost like switched places and I became the celebrity and she became the uh, sort of like the celebrity worshiper, if you will. And I, I don't, I mean that humbly. I don't mean that braggadociously. I, I mean that humbly because it wasn't really like that in real life. But to her, because of my authenticity and because I was able to say anything I wanted to her, 
she loved that. And I, in turn, was able to say anything I wanted to her when she was so used to for so many years having so many sycophants around and yes men around, you know. So I think it, it's I think I'm answering your question. I hope so. Yes. Well, well you became the star. You know, we all want to be around people, Lou, Lee, who make us feel good about ourselves, And it's not always possible. Um, our parents, too, sometimes they don't make us feel very good about yourself ourselves and then you run into a person like lucy and you just hit it off and as i said in a way it's esoteric but it's very believable yeah i and you mentioned parents and i you know i mean i love my parents very much they're gone now but i um but my mother my mother's name was lucille and she had red hair and she was a kind of a jealous woman to begin with so you can imagine the trouble i had at the beginning when i really first met lucy and spent well, just a great deal of time getting to know her. Um, but my mother, you know, a lot of times didn't make me feel good about myself. Yeah, you're, you hit it right on the head, you know. And um, and Lucy did. She, ju- she just did. Now, of course, you know, mothers and sons have their own storyline and their own baggage. And I wasn't Lucy's biological son. And her own children, I wouldn't say were estranged, but they weren't particularly close to her. And that's... Uh, that's a whole other thing that I really never get into, in, in, you know, honestly, in interviews because uh, a sense of privacy and also a sense that I really can't imagine what it's like to be growing up with two such incredibly famous parents. So, I, I you know, I, I think there are two sides to that story, you know, but they weren't particularly close. And, well, going um, back to the, to the book a bit, you know, writing a book is difficult at best. Um, what was it like, Lee, for you writing about someone who you loved, but who you who you lost? Well, yeah, I mean, we knew that the ending was going to be bittersweet at best. Um, I mean, were I you moved by a- those memories, or could you write without being emotive? Oh no, I no, I no, I still cry almost every day a little bit about Lucy. I mean, to, you know, thirty years later, she's so she's still so. You know, I, she is a guard. She is a guardian angel. She truly is for the good and the bad. I mean, she's a guardian angel in my life. And um, I mean, obviously, time and space have softened things. But um, I wanted to write a book and about the joy of the last decade. You know, and that's why I'm interested also in making this film because I I think people think that you know it was tough at the end. You know, when Desi died and she lost her show and. She received the Kennedy Center honor a few days after he died, and then her health started to fail. So it was tough in the last two, three years, but there was still so much joy there. And and I was so grateful and still am that I was able to, if I had to pick a decade, I was really glad I would pick the last decade in her life, you know, as opposed to even being around, let's say, when, you know, all the incredible success of I Love Lucy this was an incredible decade to be with her. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was, um, it was cathartic writing it. It was good for my memory. You know, it was, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't quite yet have to take Prevagen, you know, for my memory. I was still, I, I, I was still, I still had a memory. Um, but it, it was, uh, it was great. And again, I didn't know I was going to, it was going to be a book. It was just going to be, you know, it was just going to be pages and pages and pages and pages. And I, I would write 50 pages and show them to my partner. And he would say, I think you have a book here. And I would say, well, who wants to? No, I don't have a book here. I'm an unknown author. Who would buy a book by an unknown author? And he said, well, you're right, except that you're writing about the most famous lady in the world. So um, 
it was sold very, very quickly to St. Martin's Press. In, like I said, in in in, in uh, 2001, and it was an unfortunate pub date, but uh, uh, it still did very well, and and you know, and continues to do well. So I'm very proud. I'm very proud of the book. I'm, I'm proud of the book because the book, it, there's no hearsay in the book. You know what I mean? I didn't. I yes. didn't cite any articles that anybody else wrote. I didn't have to do research as a biographer. I even say in the introduction that I'm not a biographer. I, it's not a biography. It's truly a memoir, and everything in it, everything in it, everything in it is true, except except one thing. Lucy Arnaz told me that I wrote that the dining room table was for Micah, and he, she said it wasn't. <laughs> it was wood. Seriously. So there is one error in there. Very, Such very a minor detail. But, the, um, cross, what's yeah, anybody comes across stuff? the four Micah table. They come across the four Micah table. It was really, really <laughs> wood. But that, but they weren't going to reprint. Um, but, it's, but it's true. Everything was true in the book. And uh, I didn't paint any, you know, rosy picture of her or me. You know, and I took responsibility when I was wrong. And, um, um, no, I just put all the cards out on the table. And Lucy Arnaz wrote an incredible letter on the back of the book saying... She did. It was very you know, good. Something like, yes. like something like a more a more personal portrait you know, realistic portrait of her mother. It couldn't be written even by her, you know. So it was, I was very glad that, that, you know, I told it like I did. Well, what's endearing to me about you, and it says a lot about your character, Lee, is your humility in being friends with all these years. You know, I've heard you say that Lucy was humble, but you're humble as well about your uh, tenure friendship with Lucy. Yeah, thank you. I, 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 I'm, I'm still that can go I'm in the movie process- right there. <laughs> yeah, no, it, no, I it, no, you're you're absolutely right. No, I'm still processing it. I'm really excited about the film, and um, I, I I think that's going to be also a catharsis for me. I because you know, I had the book, then we had a play, but the play was a, a lovely play, but it was a two hander, so really couldn't get into too much. And I, now this will be opened up a bit, other characters, and um, I, you know. It, it's really weird. This is something actually I haven't said to anybody. This is a first. This is right it's here first. on Donna Lynch. Right show. here. First. Uh, right here, folks. Right here. Right here on um, One More Thing. Right here on One More Thing. In uh, BBS. What's the, what's the call letters, by the way, again? <laughs> BBSradio.com. BBS. That's what I thought. Of. Okay, BBS. <laughs> um, that I am now older actually older than Lucy was when I met her. Now, that's really, you talk about you want to be humbled. You know, when I met Lucy, <laughs> she was 69, and I am, well, I can't even say the numbers. I don't want to say oh, the numbers, but I am older. Old I, am, I am older than she was when I met her. So that's really, that's very humbling. And, and you know, um, now at 69 or 70, you're considered a baby, Lee. I don't know if you know that or no, not, that's, but that's true. true. You. You read that just like I wrote you, wrote just like I told you to say. Perfect, <laughs> perfect. Yes, I am a child. I am a child. My mother used to say at 82 that she was middle-aged. She was at the end of middle-aged. I, I had to explain to her that that would mean she was going to live to 164. But, um, <laughs> but she did. But, but she, but yes, yeah, but no, you're right. You're, you're right. You're absolutely right. When somebody well, they changed all that 70- now. At middle age now isn't until 58, and they're not considering old age till you're well into your 80s. Did you know that? <laughs> oh, thank you. It's a little I bit of trivia thank there. Thank I, I, I can't wait to get a copy of this radio broadcast after it airs. <laughs> um, 
no, that it's true. But I, but it is, but that, but it, it is a humbling. That is a humbling experience. And 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 I, I was thinking that she always seemed so old to me in a sense. You know, when I met her, and I, and she probably wasn't. You know, but 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 because she was forty years older, when you're thirty and she was sixty nine or seventy, it's a huge age gap at that yes. particular time. You know, so but now. You know, here you go. I'm, I'm I'm the same age, so it's 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 cathartic on many many levels, and and I'm I'm just hoping that we can capture that on celluloid. Well, you know, Lucy lived in Beverly Hills, wasn't it? Roxbury Drive, Lee, where she yes. lived. Um, mm-hmm. And I used to go by there many times when I lived in Los Angeles. Uh, paint a picture, if you would, of those latter years for us from 1980 to 1989. What was her life like? when she was no longer working or in the public eye. What did she do all the time? Well, like I said, she learned how to play backgammon from a champion. When she wanted to do something, learn something, she always learned from the best. And she learned from a champion and who came over and used to play with her. So that was like in the late 70s. And she had these beautiful backgammon tables that were built for her all over the house, in the pool house, in the lanai, in the living room. And... Um, I had to learn how to play backgammon real fast because I actually lied to her and said that I knew how to play a little bit. And she said, oh, great. You know, we'll play in a few weeks when I come to New York. This was back in, when I first met her. And so I was freaked out. I was said, oh, my God, I had to learn. So I learned how to play backgammon in three weeks, really. And um, uh, so she played a lot, a lot of backgammon. And, um, I, you know, I really don't know, again, without sounding immodest i don't know what she would have done if i didn't come along because she didn't have a lot of friends and she didn't she had a lot of i mean she had tons of people she knew in the business but she didn't really have a lot of close friends and her close friends who she did have were not in the business they would come over and play back i mean she really became she became pretty reclusive in beverly hills mm-hmm. um then when i couldn't get out there as often as i wanted to or as often as she wanted me to and she wanted to buy me a house there, even in Beverly, in Los Angeles, in Beverly Hills. And oh, I have to watch this because this is a 323 area code. I have to watch what I'm saying here. Um, <laughs> um, uh, with all due respect, I'm not a Los Angelino or somebody who likes Los Angeles too much. Yes. You know, I'm not big on driving. And um, and I loved Manhattan. I loved where I lived. That's where I worked. And that's where I my friends, family. So I said to her, why don't you get an apartment in New York? And she loved that idea. First she stayed in hotels and then she, we got her an apartment and she wound up coming to New York a lot in the eighties. And that was really fun. That was more fun than me being out in Beverly Hills because I had to beg her to go out, beg her to go out with friends that I knew in Los Angeles or out to dinner. Oh my God. I, I begged her one night. They, I said, please take me to dinner. I've been stuck in this house. I haven't seen a movie star. I remember saying, I haven't seen a movie star. I said, in nine days, it was one trip. I said, I haven't been out. I haven't seen one goddamn movie star in nine days. He said, what do I look like? And I said, well, you're, you're a TV star and you did a series a very long time ago. You know, that's the way we talk to each other. So we wound up going out to our favorite restaurant, which was called Mateo's in Westwood. It's a big Italian restaurant. And she literally, she had like, she had nine or 11 people at that table. And I was the only one I never heard of. I mean, <laughs> Sammy Davis and Don Rickles and Bob Newhart and Suzanne Plachette and 
I, I, I can't. And if they weren't sitting with us having dinner, they came over to pay homage to her. I was like, like I said, it was like I was the only person I never heard of. And when we got home that night, she said, you happy now? And we never went out to dinner again. We never went out to dinner again. It was just, you know, it was it was just when the help was off on Thursday nights, she would cook, which was that's a whole other story. Um, but we never we, we but in New York, I took her out all over, took her Broadway shows, took her to off Broadway shows, took her out to dinner, took her to the movies, which was another mistake. Um but I, I said no. You do, you have a funny happy. story about terms of endearment, do you not? I do, I do. It was the it, the short, the long and short of it. It was the only movie we ever went to in New York because, oh my God, Donna, I don't know where. There's a lot of it, um, but basically everything from wanting to stand in line in the freezing cold. You know, in those years. You had to stand in line to get tickets, and it was like 20 degrees out in New York City. And the manager said, oh, Miss Ball, you know, she hated being called Miss Ball, by the way. She just said, her stock answer was, my friends call me Lucy. Miss Ball, please, we'll take you into the lobby. You don't have to stand. No, she wanted to stand there and talk to people, and I was freezing my ass off. Oops. Should I say ass on on radio? Well, I just did again. Okay. I I was freezing my behind off, and, um, and then she just, she had not... She hadn't been to. I asked her when was the last time she was in a movie theater. She said, "Oh, she thinks it was twenty five or thirty years ago." Can you imagine? Other than like the premiere of Mame and stuff like that, I went, "Oh, Jesus Christ!" And she just she talked throughout the whole. She just talked throughout the whole movie as if she was in her living room in her screening room. <laughs> I mean, it was people people were throwing popcorn at us. I'm not kidding. It was it, it was really it, it put on her makeup during the film. Deborah Winger is dying at the end, and she's putting on her makeup with a makeup mirror, you know, and a rouge. It was just it now was, that sounds like Lucy Ricardo, doesn't it? That one, yes. You see, that was one of the times it was. But you see, it was, but but it was instant. It was accidental. I know she wasn't doing it on purpose. I, she she wouldn't do that. But that, but but you know, and she had like the makeup compact. You call you lady you call it compact yes, or something, uh, right? She compact. had a compact mirror, and she had like little chaser lights around it. I'm not kidding. It was it was. And we was oh, and she wanted to sit up in the balcony and in the middle of the row because she wanted to feel regular. She told me it was disaster. You know, we, <laughs> we never. And then she she screened the film again because she loved it so much in her house in Beverly Hills. And like if somebody talked during the movie, she went crazy. You know, that was that was Lucy. Yeah, um, I think the best place yeah. for Lucy was to watch home movies, right, Lee, in her own home. Well, she watched everything, and she had a great screening room. Actually, it wasn't the screening room. It was what they called Lanai, which is sort of like adjacent to the living room. And I don't know why they call it. Maybe they call it Lanai in California. It's sort of like a Hawaiian word, you know, but it's like an enclosed kind of porch area. And she had a screen that came down, and she, we watched movies there. That was great fun. And, um, and then I would watch. The best fun was watching I Love Lucy episodes in her house, in her den. She had 179 episodes all on VHS. That's what we had then. And then she had also all the scripts in leather-bound books. So I would take down a leather-bound book and look up, like, a, you know, episode 52, and then I would pull episode 52 from the VHS, and I was able to read along with the original scripts. It was That was fantastic, and see all the markings in the margins that she would make or Vivian Vance would make. I mean, I would ask her occasionally, and she she never would watch them with me. I watched them early in the morning, but once in a while she would sneak behind me, and I would feel her presence, watching me, watching her. It was very surrealistic, you know. Yeah, what a I nice what a nice treat. 
Um, Lee, do you think yeah. that she would have continued her career uh, until the very end, had her last sitcom worked out, which was called Life with Lucy, I believe? Yeah, well, that was a disaster. And, she, you know, unfortunately, that occurred, that decision to do it occurred during the time that we weren't speaking. And uh, if I was around, I don't know if I could have stopped her from doing it, but I certainly would have, I certainly would have made my opinion known. I mean, she always said she could never top what she had. I couldn't believe when she was doing this and it was a disaster and she was fired from ABC. She had never been fired really in her life. And that was in 1986 at the end when Desi died and she got to Kennedy center and she was fired all within nine days. So that was a real turning point. After that, she kind of like, um, so if the show had been a success, yeah, I think she would have, if the show had been a success, she might not have died as early. I mean, you know, she died from a ruptured aorta, but I always thought, and I say it in the book, that she died of a broken heart, you know, mm-hmm. because her heart was broken for, you know, both professionally and personally. Um, so I, you know, it's hard to say what would have happened, but, you know, she died at 77 and that was, that was way too young, way too young. Even then that was way too young. I was, you know, it was, it was awful, awful for me, you know, when she died. I mean, I just couldn't believe it, it all happened so quickly. Now, you do describe uh, Lucy's personality as mercurial at times, and she could be difficult, as you said. <clears throat> How did you deal with um, Lucy's personality when she became difficult? Well, most of the time, I, I spoke up, and I we, we had our, you know, mo- we, we had, you know, we had like our little tiffs, you know, like I was going to say, our relationship was on so many different levels. When I first met her, she was sort of like this, this my idol, you know, this incredible icon and, and how she chose me, you know, out of 300 million people or 200 million people, whatever we had there at the time. Um, and then it kind of evolved. And by the end, sort of like I felt like she was a grandmother in a sense. And when I started feeling more that she was a grandmother, that's when I really kind of even spoke up more and more. So we we, we, we had a lot of, she was mercurial. And she was also, if she didn't know how to do something, she assumed you didn't know how to do something, you know, you know, or if I made an English muffin, an English muffin. She told me I didn't know how to make an English muffin right. Did you ever hear of anybody making an English muffin wrong? I mean, I, I can't even imagine toasting. No, that's not how you do it. Because she didn't know how to do it. You know, so uh-huh. it was like that. You know, it was like, you know, like, little, little, like little the Bickersons. But I, most of the time, to answer your question, I just, you know, listened to her and let her do it her way, which made people say, gee, we know what she sees in you, but, you know, how can you... You know, mm-hmm. but you know, it was Lucille Ball. I don't know whether I would have taken the same stuff from you know Rose Schwartz down the hall or something, but it was <laughs> Lucille Ball. So, so you know, you just you do it, and I and I write that in my book. I, I still don't know to this day. You know, I don't know how you know why she did some of the things she did, but I, I, I didn't care. It was a great ride, and I was just very blessed that I was able to be on the ride with her for nine years. Well, you know, you years. mentioned a couple of times. Um, in the book and here in our interview that Lucy didn't like small talk. How would you describe Lucy as a communicator, Lee, or a conversationalist? And two-part question, was she the kind of person who you could have a heartfelt conversation with? Well, we had many. We had scores and scores of heartfelt conversations, usually over the backgammon table. And the later at night, it got the more heartfelt it became. 
and, and I don't mean because she drank a lot, because she did drink when we first met, but by the time later in, later in the decade she had stopped drinking completely. Um, she was a great conversationalist as long as you were willing to talk about, well, A, what she wanted to talk about, and, and two, as we say, A and two, um, and as long as you were smart. You know, you had to be smart, and I'm smart. I'm smart. So <laughs> if they, I, I, I am. I'm smart. I have a temper. But I'm smart, and she had a temper, and she's smart. So we got along pretty famously, no pun intended. Um, you were made for each other. She was, well, thank you. She was a great conversationalist. But again, but the, really the thing, it wasn't no, nothing about like, you know, um, um, uh, what, you, know, you know what I mean by small talk. I mean, it, it just, it just, just it was. A, it, 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 you had a couple of questions she asked you about how are you and blah 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 blah, and then sit down and play. Backgammon was it. If you didn't know, if you didn't play, you didn't stay. So that was <laughs> backgammon took care of all that in the last decade. It really did. I mean, everything was around when we traveled together and we did a lot of traveling together to, you know, I mean, Palm Springs and Washington and Snowmass and New York and North Carolina and, you know, and, and Harvard always had a backgammon portable board with her, you know, always had a, you know, one carrying case and always, we always played, we played in airplanes, we played in hotel rooms, we played in green rooms, we played, <laughs> we would have played, we would have played at the movies if she had a game with her, you know, I mean, it was, um, in fact, I wish she did have a backgammon instead of putting on makeup. Um, but <laughs> she, so it was all about, it was all about the game. The game was really the, the backgammon game. I'd say the people became sort of like her surrogate set. You know, it was like instead of being on the set of Lucy, backgammon became like yes. her show, and she was the star of it. You know, when you were sitting opposite her, you were sort of like the supporting player. I mean, that's the best I can, you know, the analogy I can give about backgammon. Well, you know, she was smart, and I think smart people do like board games, or games in general. And Lucy was a very smart, intelligent person. Board games, card games. There was a game called Jado hard to describe what it was but Jado was sort of like you each had a five letter word and you always played it with a pencil and paper you would give each other a word and they would you would tell them how many letters are the same and it was sort of like a game that you had to play with a pencil and paper and Lucy was able to play it without a pencil and paper which was just like mm-hmm. mind-blowing and she'd win most of the time she was she loved she loved Scrabble was a big game of hers for years before she discovered or rediscovered backgammon um game called crazy eight she loved gin rummy she would play gin rummy with her driver um games games you know mm-hmm. no 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 games in person but no near no no people's games but but real games you know well i can't believe how fast the time has gone here and i have a couple more things um in 2010 you launched lucy as a stage production based on your book at the laguna playhouse in laguna beach california i remember it well it was a surreal evening um what were your trepidations about doing this on stage and your thoughts as you saw the characters of lucy and lee on stage oh it was it was it was horrifying. <laughs> it was, I, mean, I mean, horrifying and horrifying in the best possible way. Um, I was proud of that production, but I knew that that production was not going to be the final thing. And what I basically did, even though it was a commercial success, it was you know people very well attended by a good subscription audience. Um, I really kind of pulled it after that, and I rewrote the play almost completely. And it took about four or five years, and then we launched it in London. In, in like 2015, 2016, and 
we did three productions there. Um, it, that, it was it was tough. I think the film is even going to be easier than the stage play because the film is a film, and you know you have something between you. Um, it, it was it's it, it, it's it's hard because to to portray Lucy, you know, there's a, there's a film now, there's an Aaron Sorkin film now that's in production, and you know Nicole Kidman is playing Lucy, and you know I I really hate to sound. Well, I don't care how I sound, to be honest with you. I think that I think it's atrocious that casting. I mean, she's a great, great actress, but I cannot see her as Lucy. Can you? Do you want to go on a limb here, Donna? Can you see her as Lucille Ball? <laughs> no, uh, truthfully, I can't. It, it just seems that nobody can get Lucy right. That's kind of how I feel about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. That well, there have been two other biopics, you know, and he, and I I know what this story is about, and I have confidence, hopefully, that this might be different, but. They better not have her do any Lucy Ricardo stuff because that's when it falls apart. But mm-hmm. I saw some I saw some photos and stuff. I just I just you know I I just don't think it's um I don't think Javier Bardem is right for Desi. I don't think she's really right for Lucy. But that's a whole I don't you know that's just that's just my humble opinion. Um, but we're looking for somebody you know later in life who could play Lucy, and I think that's going to be easier to portray because because she doesn't have to be Lucy Ricardo in any way, shape, or form. You know, mm-hmm. she has to be the Lucy that we talked about for the last almost hour, Donna. Um, <laughs> I know, I'd like to hear some of No, your time, I have to say, I, time goes, I mean, I, you know, we talked, we pre-talked. I have to say, Donna, you are an amazing interviewer. I mean, Thank you, the, thank the you, minutes, Lee. You're always minutes, so sweet. The minutes, no, the minutes flew by. It really did. I mean, I, I can't. I can't believe we're talking this long, but, um, well, I want to hear one of uh, your reflections because as you said, it's been 32 years. Um, when you look back now on your friendship, how did it grow and change from the time you met Lucy until the time she passed away? Because she had a lot of philosophies. Uh, I'm sure she passed those on to you and she was a wise woman. Well, like I said earlier, I mean, the arc for me was like, you know, from going from somebody from a fan you know, like well, I always thought I was a number one fan. Everybody thinks they're the number one fan, even to this day. Oh my God, my sister is the number one fan. You know, blah blah blah. Um, from going from a fan to going to from you know from 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 sort of like her taking care of me, it kind of evolved, and then from me taking care of her at the end, which I really did. I really I brought a lot of joy to her at the end. A lot of I, I think a lot of I hope a lot of peace and comfort among her turbulent last you know, two or three years. Um, well, they're like telling I said, me I have to wrap up. Um, and Lee, it's been such a pleasure. Once again, I have a lot more questions about um, your reflections, but perhaps you could come back again and we could do another wrap up. That would be fun. Well, when the movie comes out, I'll be glad to do again another interview. I thank you for your time and for all the great questions. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. And your book, once again, you can find it on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, or just call your favorite bookstore. And again, thank you so much, Lee. You're welcome. Stay well, stay healthy, be safe. Thank you. And I'll see all of you next Sunday right here at 3 p.m. on BBS Radio for one more thing.